Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hey guys, welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Cliff Hayden. How you doing, man? I'm great, RJ. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Why don't you take a quick second to kind of briefly introduce yourself and tell everybody what it is you do in real estate. All right. Um, Cliff Hayden, uh, husband, father of five uh, chucklehead kids. And um, what I do in real estate, I, I got my fingers in a little bit of everything. So I do rental houses, uh, manage, um, we work for different banks around town, uh, fixing up houses. That's kind of on a slow market now because the foreclosure market's kind of drying up here. Um, and we also do a company called Show Me the Rental, which is basically what I'm on here, on here today for. Um, it is a lead screening service. So um, we found in our business, the biggest headache we had is when we had empty rental houses. Uh, we got all these leads coming in. It was hard to take all the phone calls and emails. And so we kind of systemized that to... Uh, screen our leads for us so we don't we can kind of filter out all the bad leads and and just talk to the qualified applicants that we want to deal with awesome what part of the country are you in uh, we're in louisville kentucky louisville kentucky all right man so i'm a big horse racing fan is everybody in kentucky as in as big in the horse racing as i think they are uh there are several so i have several cousins and uncles that are degenerate gamblers and all they do is <laughs> Do like fantasy horse racing that I didn't know was a thing. I didn't know that was a thing either. Right. Yeah, so they actually get fantasy drafts and uh, they're big into it. Oh man. That's uh that's, that's actually hilarious. I mean, I'm, I'm in the horse racing, but I, I guess I'm not into it that big. <laughs> I'm not either. I enjoy actually just going to the races with them and watching them bet and all the stuff they do. Cause they get animated. And, uh, this Derby real fast was a funny story. So my, uh, I was there with my cousins and my uncles. There's about 20 of us to go to the Derby every year to the infield. And so if anybody watched the Derby this year, there was kind of a – it doesn't happen too often, but there was a change in the race. So the winner actually got dis, not disqualified but pushed all the way back down. Right. So my cousin had picked that winner and was – I mean, I bet I guess they bet quite a bit of money, you know, a couple thousand. And so uh, he's jumping up and down, and you would have thought he won the world. He, he thought he won all this money. And then they said, okay, on a review. And then they came back and disqualified that horse. And then you see chairs flying through the infield and everybody's screaming and yelling. And I'm sitting there just watching. And it was so entertaining to watch everybody's uh, yeah. emotional yeah, that roller coaster. Was, that, that was a roller coaster. And, and just to, to wrap that story up, because I'm sure people don't care about our, our Kentucky yeah. Derby stories, but it, it was a crazy Kentucky Derby. This is the one year that I've ever watched it. And as soon as it was over, I had something to do. So as soon as the horse crossed the finish line, I said, wasn't my horse, turned it off and left. And then six hours later, when I get back home, I turn on the TV, I see a little notification about, you know, first time in so many years, there's been a disqualification in the Kentucky Derby. And I was like, oh my goodness, because the eventual winner was a huge long shot. Yeah. Um, so it was a, it was a big deal. So anyways, good stuff. Uh, good stuff. So, all right, man, well, tell everybody, how did you get into real estate investing? I know you had a previous career, so go into that story a little bit. So um, the gist is, is my sister and brother-in-law were both in the military, in the army in Iraq. And when they came home, um, my actual brother-in-law came to our house and um, I, I still remember pretty vividly, we were just talking about it. Uh, he gave me a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. 
And then he also brought a game home called Cash Flow. And so I remember sitting in my parents' uh, dining room and playing Cash Flow and just you pick cards on, you could, you could buy houses and rent them out and people pay you. And, and like the thought, I didn't, I didn't even know what that was. I didn't know you could do that. And so just that hamster in, the, in my brain started running on the wheel pretty heavy. And uh, my brother-in-law can remember me just kind of getting distant from the game and just looking off and kind of seeing the wheels turning. And so that's how it first intrigued me uh, that you could do this. Uh, so my real job back then was I worked for AT&T. I was a construction worker uh, called an outside plant technician, which was a fancy name for construction. And I worked the bucket trucks and uh, did very well. I mean, that's a, it was a very, uh, we're a very humble, uh, lower middle class family. So that was a, that was a good job for us. And so uh, I was working full time there. And then with cash flow getting introduced to me, I started, I hired Robert Kiyosaki's as coach, uh, their little group and started learning and learning and um, hooked up with a local real estate club. And uh, from there I found a mentor and a guy named Mike Butler, who's a, uh, he's a speaker also. And uh, he kind of took me under his wing and uh, just started slowly buying houses from there. And um, I want to say, I tell everybody, I, just so you know how, how it's not all easy and, and this doesn't come to just smart people because I'm not that smart. I just kind of, I work very hard and very persistent. And so I made 130 offers, I believe, right at that before I bought my first house. Wow. So I was so green. I just thought if there was a house for sale, you made an offer. I had no idea what motivated sellers were, uh, you, you know, seller finance subject to so many things I didn't know. And so I just started, okay, I just make offers on houses and somebody will, eventually it'll work out. That's uh, so funny, man. I, I was very similar when I first started, you know, I, I went to a seminar and, you know, I was told, you know, this is how you make an offer. And, and I've told this before, but what was so funny is I understood the formula. I understood what we were trying to accomplish. But they kept saying, okay, you just make the offer. And I remember I waited all day and I was like, when are we going to get to the part where he tells me how I make an offer? And so finally he was like, all right, that's it. Any Q&A? And I'm like, um, how do you make an offer? And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, is there like a website that you go to that you submit it? Or like, how do you do this? And he's like, you just write an email to your real estate agent and they'll write up the offer for you. Cause at the time he was telling us to make offers on the MLS. And yeah. so <laughs> I remember getting in the car and before I could even make it home, I was already on Zillow and I was texting an agent that I knew, okay, I want to offer 150,000 on this when the house is listed for like 300,000 on the MLS. You know, that was the same way as you just, it's listed. It's for sale. This is what he told me to do. So I was just blasting offers all over for wasting my dollars. time. I can hear agents right now. Stop wasting my time. I hate your investors. You guys don't, you know, I'm tired of this crap. Yes. I had that. Yeah, exactly. So, so you made 130 offers. You finally got a house when you first started. How were you taking those houses down? Were you using your own cash? Were you using private money? How were you doing that? You know, I was so new. I, so the good thing was at AT&T, I had a good job. So I had good credit. And uh, it was the weirdest thing in the world, but they would loan you money that there was no way I could pay it back because I, only, I just had this job. And so literally um, I was buying on credit cards. So wow. back then you could do cash balance transfers of 0%, um, no fees. And so I literally, I would get credit cards and they would send me checks for the credit cards. And you would, I would literally just write checks. And so uh, it was very caveman investing back then. So it was uh, all, you know, buy, pay for cash, fix it up, refinance it. I did that over and over. And so um, that's how I started buying. Uh, I, I'm trying to think back. I probably did have an equity line also. Um, but back then, 
we had local banks that would loan you the purchase price money and then I'd fix it up and put it on 30 year fixed notes, uh, loans after that. And these are in Louisville, right? What's like a typical price point in Louisville? You know, um, our prices are going up, but usually um, you can get a really nice rental house between 100 to 150,000. Okay. That's uh, pretty similar to here in Fort Worth, Texas. So. Yes. And then a lot of people, those are the nice houses and you can go down all the way. I mean, you can still buy houses in parts of town for, you know, five, 10,000. Uh, you can get okay houses with heavy property, you know, management intensive for around 50, 60,000. Uh, but the nice bread and butter that I like, uh, my particular house that I buy is around 100 to 150. All right. So let's transition from that. You first got started, you were buying properties off of credit cards. Where did your career take from, from that point? And so at AT&T, um, when I first started my job, my, my thought process was just from where we come from is, okay, I'm going to work here, be a lineman, I'm, then I'm going to be a supervisor, and then I'm going to be the supervisor's boss, and I'm going to be a second level, and I'm going to work my way up the corporate ladder. Um, I had some things happen to me in AT&T um, where they just, I just kind of realized I was a puppet on a string. I don't know how to say it, but I was just like a pawn. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got some close calls where I thought they cared about me and I realized they didn't care. And so I kind of um, started doing real estate a lot more. I enjoyed it. Um, it was, it was fun to me. Uh, so I was, once I figured out how to buy, I was, you know, I was buying 30 houses, 35 houses a year for a couple of years, um, which is good and bad. Good is I was, I was really moving in, in my mind back then. My old, my, my priorities back when I first started was money was the goal. So if I had a bunch of money, I was going to be happy. Um, I was going to be able to do what I want to do. All my problems are going to go away. Um, and so I was just engulfed in, you know, making as much money as possible, uh, which was a big problem, uh, especially for my wife and, you know, neglecting my kids from not being home as, as much um, to being a good father. So that was a, that was an issue. So um, well, I knew quick, I, I want to kind of a side point on that, you know, we're talking about money being your goal. Um, what some people don't understand is, is that when money is, the goal. And when you do start making more money, um, there's more problems, there's more issues to solve. And when you make a 100,000, then you want to make 200,000. And then when you make a million, you want to make 2 million. And it never, never satiates your, your desire to make more money. I mean, it, there's always more to be made. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a huge problem when money is the sole why you're doing what you're doing. So that's a, it's an interesting point because this is probably the 90th interview that I've done on here. You're one of the few people that's brought that up where you're not saying that other people disagree with this, but it's kind of taboo to talk about, right? Like don't make money your only goal. Everybody talks about what's your why and, you know, it's family, God, you know, charity, whatever. But very rarely do we directly say, hey, don't make money be your sole goal. Because like you said, I mean, very quickly you look back and you're like, man, I'm neglecting my family. I'm neglecting my kids. You know, time is evaporating quicker than I can make the money. Yeah. And it's kind of like, in my opinion, it's a uh, money should be a tool. So it's not the goal. It's the tool. Uh, because you just said it best. What you want the money for is for your family, to go on vacations, to have, you know, nicer toys or whatever it is you're into. Um, so when that's your focus, you forget about all the stuff that's really important. And, and so the, I did that for several years and uh, it would cause a lot of problems at home. It caused, you know, I missed some birthdays. I, I was literally engulfed in this and uh, um, it took a lot of um, uh, 
I read books and talked to different people. And, and the main goal, what we're looking for, and, and everybody, the big picture is lifestyle. So everybody does this and gets money for a certain lifestyle they want. So if they can figure out that lifestyle um, and figure out most of the time, what I figured out, if you don't have a lot of debt and a lot of um, money going out, you, you don't have to have a lot of money to do what you want to do. So, I mean, if you're bringing in, you know, even a high number, 15, 20,000 a month and don't have any debt, you can do whatever you want, unless you have extravagant, you know, spending styles uh, or expenses, but you can do whatever you want with that kind of money. Mm -hmm. um, and getting out of debt is a huge, um, huge issue. And that's, that's all I focus on now is uh, getting out. Of, I'm a Dave Ramsey kind of fan. I know we're on a different segue, but I'm a Dave Ramsey fan and I don't like everything he says, but I do like the fact of getting out of debt, reserves, invest, uh, retire, and then give back. Uh, I like some of the things he talks about. And so that, that's the kind of my, my strategy. And that's my lifestyle now. Gotcha. So, uh, go ahead. What were some of what were some of the steps you took when you were making that realization that money was your sole goal? How did you adjust your mindset to get out of that to okay, money is now going to become a tool? Um, it's a great question. Um, the mindset was so my financial wise, I was doing great. I mean, we have a nice big house. We got a pool house. We had toys. I, I used to, we come from very, I come from very humble beginnings. So I would find myself buying my kids toys that I never got growing up just cause I thought, man, I wanted these. I would have been so happy as a kid. And so I'm buying the dirt bikes. I'm buying uh, four wheelers. I'm buying, you know, different toys that um, I'm thinking I'm going to make them happy and it doesn't. And so um, the biggest change was I my home life was miserable. I would literally come home and um, I remember sitting at the dinner table with my wife at night and we would just, my phone would not stop ringing. Uh, I get text messages, emails, I have empty rental houses and I was just working and working and working and I could feel her evil eyes just beating down on me. Like, look, you're at home with the kids. Let's be at home. You know, work's over. And she didn't understand because she came from a, um, she still works for the school board. So she has a nine to five. So she didn't understand that when, it's over. When she comes home from work, she shuts it off. Well, I can't. We're working basically, we can work 24 hours a day in this job. And so um, it started changing when I was like, man, the goal here is to have a good family and a good life. Well, you know, the money's great, but everybody at home's miserable. My kids don't know who I am. Oh, this is terrible. I'm not home all the time. They go to mom when they're crying. They go, you know, I, certain things start happening at home and I was like, this has got to change. And so um, that's when I started implementing systems and really started going into, okay, what lifestyle do I want and how do I get there? And so I just really started focusing on lifestyle. And, um, and, and I rearranged my whole business to have less headaches. I've sold off half my portfolio and upgraded my houses to have less tenant headaches. Um, I'm working now that all the money, extra money I get, we're paying off debt, we're paying off houses. Um, and that's, that's basically what I do now. And, and go ahead. Well, yeah, that's, that's an amazing point that you made there is you sold off a bunch to upgrade your properties for less headaches. And I'm assuming that's also where Show Me the Rental came in because I, I, obviously you felt like a big headache in your business was screening tenants and finding tenants uh, for your vacant properties, right? It was a nightmare. And uh, actually, uh, one of the guys on my team, Gary, just walked in the door. And so he's a blessing. He, he takes care of all the... Uh, headache stuff that I don't like doing anymore. And so, <laughs> he's amazing. So uh, he kind of runs the show. And, and so, yeah, so what, 
what would happen is even with Gary, so we're, you know, at the time we're managing 80, you know, not, I mean, we're not astronomical, but 80 something houses. And when you got three or four empty rental houses, we would literally get a hundred phone calls a day. We would get emails and Gary couldn't keep up. So then I would help. And so what we, I was like, there's gotta be a system out here we can use that screens these leads. So we don't have to deal with, um, I want to knock on people, but the, what conversation popped in my head is Jesus. We get, the, we call them Jesus people. And I'm not, I'm very spiritual and I'm not knocking it, but you know, Jesus told me I'd get this house and I gave you this 15, 20 minute story and you gotta listen. I'm like, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to listen. I just want, I want the qualified leads. That's the only people I want to talk to. So we were sitting at the dinner table, my phone's ringing and that's when the light bulb went off. Like there's gotta be a system. I went out and looked for a system that would screen leads. So we didn't have to talk to everybody or answer emails. And I literally couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything. Um, and so I was like, you know what? This can't be that hard. So then we, um, I partnered up with a tech guy. And we invented Show Me the Rental. And so, awesome. and what it did was it solved that problem of, I want to eat dinner with my kids. I want to be home and actually be present and be home and engage with them. And I'd have 50 things in my mind going on that I got to get taken care of that night and the next day. And so, and what Show Me the Rental did was it literally created a funnel. And when, just say somebody gets on Zillow and finds our houses, um, it literally sends them to show me the rental, show me the rental takes it. They send them pre-screening questions that we, we found ourselves asking tenants every time anyway, which was how long you been in your current job? How much money do you have in your bank account? Will you sign a three-year lease? Are you on section eight? And so we're asking these questions over and over. And so we automated that. And so what we did was took all those leads that we had that were a waste that we didn't need to talk to. And we, and it filtered them down to just the 15 or 20 leads that we that are really good leads that we can talk to and get them to fill out an application and screen them from there. Gotcha. So it saved us. I can't think of countless hours and headache of dealing with the wrong people and at the same time missing the right people because we didn't have enough time to do it all. There was just not enough time in the day. So as the landlord, when you know you sign up for Show Me the Rental and you have all these leads that go in there, how is this information being transferred transferred to me as the landlord, and how am I able to like? read through it and decide who I'm going to call back and who I'm not. And so let me back up. You, we actually don't call them anymore until they fill out an application. Okay. And so what it does is show me the rental. It's a lead screening. So it, it will, I'm going to give you just a simple breakdown. Um, and they can visit show me the rental.com and see how it works. There's videos and tutorials, but basically you put the house on our system. We send it out to all the major websites. Uh, from there, the tenant will then, uh, inquire about the house, show me the rental, ask them pre-screening questions that you select. And then show me the rental also sets up the showings. So whether you want to show your house via lockbox, uh, via an agent shows the house for you. Some people do that. Key sign out at your office or an open house. Um, actually, it'll also show it if a tenant's in the house. We do that now because we got higher end properties and nice tenants. So if the tenant actually notifies that they're going to leave, We'll schedule, we'll put the house on the market and that tenant will show the house while they're still living there and try to rent it before they leave. Um, we give them a, a incentive, you know, we give them some cash if, if we rent it before they leave. So it, it does all that. And then it sends a, the potential lead or tenant application link and they fill out an application. And then Gary actually doesn't talk to him until they get the application. And then we'll gotcha. go, he'll go through and screen that application and then we're good to go. So let's talk about that. You know, we're, we're talking about screening. We're talking about, you know, applications coming in. It sounds like you're very experienced in this. So as a property manager or as a landlord, what are some of the questions that you should be asking prospective tenants? So for us, uh, that's how we went to higher end houses. Um, so what we learned from the beginning and for new people, it's just a learning curve. So you're, it's just tough to get in, jump in and jump in and get to a, 
a certain level, I think you've got those stages. And if you don't have a lot of money, you got to start at low end. But at the low end houses, um, I'm not knocking people, but you know, rent might be fourth or fifth priority on their list every month. So rent's not the number roof over their head might not be their top priority to pay bills every month. And so you just got to deal with those on lower end houses on the higher end houses. What we do now, our criteria is like I said earlier, Dave Ramsey, I want somebody responsible. It's been on their job for a while, has money in the bank. They're not living check to check. Uh, they know how to take, you know, the, the house they're living in now is clean. They actually landscape and they trim bushes and they, you know, they take care of it. So that's what we look for now. Um, and, and, but you got to have that quality of house to get that quality of tenant, that quality of customer, I call them. And so when so, you talk about higher end homes, are you talking about the hundred to 150,000? Are you even going above that now? I'm going a little bit above that now. Uh, but yeah, hundred to 150 is usually good, but we're talking three bedroom, four bedroom, two full bath. Uh, basement, garages, and nice areas by nice schools. So we're, we're big on, um, I like certain pockets, um, the neighborhoods I grew up in, I still actually buy there because I know the people, I know the area. And so we like those, uh, I call them cookie cutter brick ranches with basements and garages where the family can, if they got kids, they can grow a little bit. They're not crammed in if they have an extra kid and they got two baths and, and by this decent, uh, either private schools or public school systems. That's kind of what our, our niche is now are you willing to sacrifice the cash flow to have that better house or are you still getting the same kind of cash flow? So, um, I'm still getting, a, I'm actually getting better cash flow now, uh, just cause I do things a little different. So now what we do is I do a lot of subject twos. Um, I, you know, and I think those are going to be big in the future. Uh, newer people, I, I would look into subject twos. I think when the market crashes and I, I see the, the telltale signs are starting to come subprime lending's back now. They call it Q, QV, Q something now is a different term. But when you start doing stated income on your loans again, it takes around four or five years and then stuff will start, you know, people start getting foreclosed on. Um, and, and subject to loans are great because you got fixed in money. Um, I can't get any more 30 year fixed loans. And so I like those 30 year fixed loans. If, they, if they're mature 10 or 12 years, you know, you're starting to get down to principal only payments. So I do a lot of subject twos now. I do a lot of seller finance. And so I negotiate the deal to where I still get the cash flow, um, and I make it a win-win for everybody. And those are my deals. Now it's very rare that I'll do a cash deal anymore. Um, I might do it on a rehab or something, but as far as a long-term keeper, um, I don't, I don't think I've done one in years where I've done actual cash deal on a, on a long-term keeper keeper. So when you say you're doing seller finance, are you seller financing or you're at, you're having the sellers seller finance to you? I, I think it's a great question. Actually both. So I have, a, I have about a half a dozen houses now. I'm not big into it. Half a dozen houses that I've financed for other investors or other people. And then I actually buy on seller finance. Those are my best ways to buy. So um, I do IRA stuff now, Roth IRAs. Um, and so I'll buy rental houses in my Roth where the seller finances that house for me so I can put it in my Roth. And when you're, when you're seller financing, are you putting the, the buyer on a 30-year fixed note? Um, it always depends on the deal. So it depends on the situation and circumstances, how much money they have down uh, and kind of what they want to do. So um, it, 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 it just depends. I don't have a, it's not a black and white. There's a lot of gray in there. I gotcha. It's funny you bring that up. And the reason why I ask those questions is because we're following a very similar path. Like, you know, just to start creating passive income and cash flow, it was like, okay, we have to do rentals. And then I realized that's not really creating cash flow so much as we're just finding a way that hopefully we get enough money every month 
that we're buying this house to pay it down. Like it's very hard, especially in certain price points. There's just constant maintenance. And, and, you know, if you have a vacancy and, and really, if you do the math, like on some of these, it's like, if you have a, and this is even with taking into consideration, you know, five or 10% for maintenance, five or 10% for capital expenditures, five or 10% for vacancy. I mean, if, if you have one big thing go wrong, like an AC unit go out or foundation repairs or something along those lines, I mean, you're not cash flowing for a couple of years sometimes. I tell and, people, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Yeah. And I mean, it just becomes this nightmare where it's like, what are we doing this for? I mean, it's literally just so somebody else can buy you the house and eventually you have all the equity in it. And, uh, but with seller financing, it's a totally different, um, animal. You, you actually are cash flowing. You don't have any of those, um, issues. And yes, there's always the possibility that they could default on the loan and then you have to foreclose and things like that. But, uh, so far, knock on wood, that hasn't happened to us. And uh, have you had any defaults or anything like that? Uh, I'm going to knock on wood too. I have not yet. <laughs> no, no, no. So I have not. So, and the people I do it with, and I should say this too, it's somebody I know. Like I know of them or somebody will know them. I, I don't, uh, we got a group of investors in our town and there's probably about 10 of us and we all do a lot of deals together. That's kind of our group. And so we'll host other people, we'll finance, we'll loan th for IRAs through just certain people. Um, I don't feel comfortable enough to loan to a new guy at all. And I don't sell to new guys either. So if you haven't done one or two houses, I don't wholesale to you. I don't, I just tell you to come back once you've got your, you know, you know, made a couple mistakes because I don't want to be the bad guy that, you know, gets a bad reputation because this new guy doesn't know what he's doing. So right. I'm real particular on who I do business with and where I do business and all that stuff. So I want to transition a little bit back to what we were talking about earlier with, you know, you kind of implementing systems and, and different things, processes in your business. What are some of the best ways that, you know, you can run your business without letting the business run you? Um, that's a great question. And so um, there, there's a book out there called uh, Transition. Is it Traction? I can't think Traction. Of it. Traction. Yeah. It helped me a lot. And different, I always, liked, I always liked talking to people who have a lifestyle that I wanted. I always found out when I, when I saw somebody who was very relaxed, very calm, very happy, um, got to kind of spend their days doing what they wanted. I was like, okay, what do you do and how do you do it? And so uh, I met a guy named uh, Bart Steele from Baltimore, actually um, friend of a friend. And I remember talking to him. He seemed like one of the nicest, happiest guys I've ever met. And I said, so what, did, what big change you do in your business to get you to, you know, to be happy? It was one of the best things I did. I took a piece of paper. I drew a line through it. I wrote down what I like to do and what I don't like to do. And I literally ripped it in half and I went out and found somebody to do what I don't like to do. And so, and I was like, that's it's very simple, but very true. And so what I started doing was build my business on, we would have a, you know, Gary and I have been together for 12 years. And so he started out uh, doing maintenance on the houses. Um, when we worked at, he, he actually, we worked together at AT&T. Um, he got laid off. He was a temporary, got laid off and started doing work on the side for me um, and another guy. And then just after years of, of doing that, we started, I was like, man, you need to, let's work up. And then he started um, handling uh, rental houses and just kind of built his way up to kind of taking over everything. And so what you, what I did is put systems in place on how from a house to when we purchase a house to when we put it on the market to when we screen, we have all that stuff in order. And then, um, Gary handles that part of it. 
Um, I like, I don't like doing seven day letters. I don't like doing evictions. I get, I hate doing that kind of, I don't like calling tenants and trying, okay, if you're late, I don't like doing any of that. So I hired V I got two VAs now. And so I hired two VAs and collections are another one. I have a lot of, I told you earlier, I sold off a bunch of uh, houses, but most of those were the headache houses that, you know, it had so many turnovers that I got collections from, you know, probably 60 people. Well, I hated doing collections. So now my virtual assistant does all my collections for me. Uh, she sends out newsletters every, every quarter. Um, and so I just started getting staff in place and, and people in place. It's not that expensive to do um, if you spend time to put the details down on your business and let them kind of run it all. And then I meet with them. So Gary's in and I, we have a weekly meeting. We go over our agenda uh, with him every week. And then we figure out what, what we got going on and, you know, go to the next week. And so, awesome, man. So, so for everyone that's listening right now, and if they're in a position where maybe they're wholesaling or flipping and they're like, hey, I really want to get into creating the cash flow and passive income, and they haven't done that yet, considering your experience, what would you advise someone to do differently than what you did to get started? Great question. So what I would do... Um, let me think real fast. I had a good job that I didn't need. I didn't need the cash from the rentals at all um, because I had a great job that paid for more than what I needed. And, and so I would have bought nicer higher end houses from the beginning and, and gave up a little bit of cash flow because what you're going to get also is you're going to, you don't want to live on appreciation or tax benefits. You don't make money on that. But you know, at AT&T, I remember I would barter with different guys because once I started buying a bunch of rental houses, my depreciation, I would get back all the taxes I paid at AT&T. So I would be getting back 18, you know, 15, $18,000 checks every year. And, and so what I would do is say, okay, guys, I don't want to work overtime. I got to go buy this house. So I would actually buy houses while I was working at 18, while I was on the job. And, and here's a funny story. I love brag about this. So there's a guy, an attorney downtown I would use. And at AT&T, you could literally park wherever you wanted. So I go in the middle of downtown on a busy street, park in front of the building, put my cones out, my sign out, go upstairs, buy a house, come back down, get my truck and go back to the job. <laughs> And the guys of my crew that we would work together, I'd say, guys, you can work, you can take all the overtime I have because I've seen, I was one of those senior guys. You can have all the overtime I have. I, I, we're going to work as long as you let me do some other stuff, you know, during the day, so I so I can get some work done on real estate. That's and, awesome. Yeah, there was different things that I did with that, and so I would have bought higher end houses when I first started, um, just so I have less headache, less moving pieces. You can get higher quality customers in there, and then like right now today, I've had. Uh, verbos. I've got vacation rental houses. Um, I think the math on those is incredible. And so, for instance, we rent out our personal house. I talked my wife into it. And, um, and, and so for Derby, I mean, we rent our house out for Derby and then June and July every summer because my wife she's a, uh, works for this local high school. And so she's off all summer and we got a lake house. So we just stay down there. I make just for those two months in that week, it's like having 10 paid for rental houses. That's how much money we make off of it. Wow, and, and the the clientele is very high end because it's a nice house. So you're getting you're getting people like me and my family. So when we travel, we rent a house because there's five kids, and if my mom and dad come or my sisters, whoever, there's not enough room to stay in hotels, and it's just expensive and cumbersome because you got kids running down hallways, and it's just you know you can't have a lot of fun. And so we rent houses out, and so that so now I rent my house out, and uh, we do very well at it. That's that's awesome, man. So. Um, as far as the vacation rentals go, is it, it, are you getting into that side of the business or is it just like that one, like a couple of one-off scenarios or is that going to become a new strategy? You know, that's a great question. I have two, we have a lake house also that I rent out when we're not there. And, and so I, I think, um, 
when the market crashes. So right now our market's very well, very good. So if you're, you know, it's, you know, high in houses, you know, it's hard to find a deal. Um, so I'll probably wait for the market to crash. And a lot of the, when that happens, usually those high in houses you can get for a lot cheaper than the other ones because there's a big spread there. So I think when it crashes, I'll probably pick up another two or three high-end nice rentals. So, so when I do vacation rentals, I want the rentals that stand out from everybody in the neighborhood. So I want the pool or a pool house. I want something, a big pond in the back. I want something that nobody else has. So when they're looking in that area, I got that. I got the best house. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, man. Well, last question. It's probably one of my favorite questions to ask people because uh, it always makes, man, why didn't you warn me? You're going to ask this. <laughs> All right. So, you know, you've, you've grown to this point. Sounds like you've kind of accomplished the part of, you know, living the lifestyle that you want. Where do you want to go for the next five years? That's a great question. So I have five kids and my goal is, um, get a little personal. I feel so for, I grew up very humbly. They, they grew up very sheltered. So I worry about this a lot. And so, um, we actually talked to my wife about this. We stayed at, actually, we just got back in town a couple of weeks ago. We stayed in Colorado for the month. And so uh, we got back in town and I think we're going to do some mission trips. And I just want my kids to kind of see, um, how, how do I say that right? I want them to be able to survive. I don't feel like I've taught my kids very good survival skills. And so I really want to spend the next five years, um, teaching them more about life and, um, more about life skills. And I, and I didn't do that a lot in the beginning, especially my two older ones, because I was working all the, when I say all the time, I was working all the time. Um, and, and so now I have an opportunity to, um, kind of spend more time with them. Um, I think we're going to Belize next year and do a mission trip and just kind of talk to them about, you know, different things. My, my oldest is 17. He's in on the, he wants to go into Marines next year when he graduates high school. And so we have a very short time left to spend with him. Um, and so I want to next five years and I want to just spend time with my family and, uh, make sure they understand that, um, it's going to sound sappy and a little yuppie, but I want to make sure they know we love that, that we love them. Yeah. And so I almost feel like with the oldest, I miss some of that. So I know, I know I do love him. Does he know that I, that I really care? And I want them to know that, you know, no matter what happens, we're, we're a family. And so that's the next five years. I want to really focus on that stuff. Well, that's a, that's a fantastic goal, buddy. And, and something for, for all of us that have our younger children, I have a six-year-old and well, in two weeks, I'm going to have a two-year-old. All right. And, that's uh, awesome. and so, uh, you know, I, I think that's a, a good point for, for someone in my shoes right now that is working a lot and, and trying to accomplish these big goals to stay focused on the family as well. So Cliff, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Um, for everyone that's listening, what is the best way they can connect with you or follow you? Um, easiest way you can email me anytime at cliff, C-L-I-F-F at showmetherental.com. Uh, just check that out. Send me any kind of information you want. And, uh, I don't mind. I know we talked about this earlier, RJ. I'm going to give you my cell phone number too. Yes. <laughs> if you got any questions or concerns, um, I answer my cell phone usually between 12 and one and four and five. So if I don't answer that day, I'll try to get back to you. But if you want to call me, got any questions or any advice, um, I like helping. That's kind of, that's my goal now. And I do a lot of deals just from helping people. I tell everybody the short money is you, you want to pass up on just, you want to get that quick cash, but that's short money. If you help a lot of people and take care of them and do good by them, the deals just start coming in. Um, just, just from being around people that are aggressive and you help them and, and try to make them better. And so you can call me on my cell phone. It's 502-641-8781. 
Again, 502-641-8781, and I'll help you any way I can. Just to wrap this interview up and show how much wisdom Cliff brought to the interview today, um, you know, he's, he's talking about their, you know, short money, and, and if you take care of people, the deals start rolling in. Um, the first time that I ever did an interview on camera was at Propelio. And Ryan Harper and I were, he was interviewing me in, in the Propelio studios. And that morning I had gone to a gas station to get a drink and I saw my buddy Freedom Johnson had left his card, his business cards on the counter of the gas station. And I just thought that was such an ingenious idea because it's a neighborhood that, you know, everybody would love to buy houses in this neighborhood, right? And this is at the gas station that's right on the corner of this neighborhood. And they were just sitting right there. It says, you know, I buy houses. I'll stop foreclosures, all these different things. And I made a comment about how great of an idea that was for freedom. And I, didn't, I don't really know freedom. I, I think I've probably met him once. But I referenced him in that. I've talked to him a couple times online um, where he was just asking for help. And I gave him the, the help that he needed. And then today he brought me a deal and he said, hey, do you want to co-wholesale this together? And uh, I told him, I said, hey, I've got an interview this morning and then I'll get right to you. Um, so to, to Cliff's point is, you know, taking care of people, um, just recognizing, you know, hustle. I, I didn't do that thing. And hey, if I, if I show recognition of freedom in this I'm interview, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to get something out of this. I, I literally was like, I stop at that gas station pretty regularly. Why haven't I done that? You know, I, I was recognizing, hey, that's a that's a great move on his part. So, Very Cliff, cool. thank you so much for uh, for all the wisdom that you brought to today's interview. Um, I'm definitely going to personally be sh uh, checking out ShowMeTheRental.com, um, see if that can help us with our rental properties. Guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, if you're watching on YouTube, please give us a thumbs up. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star review. If you want to give us four stars, keep it. Give it to somebody else. Only give us five stars. All right, really guys. Appreciate your time, man. Thank you Thanks, so much. Cliff. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.